Gwendolyn and I are both recovering from that. So um, thank you for, for selecting this this evening, Gwendolyn. Um, uh, I, I hadn't seen it for 25 years because when I did first see it in 1993 um, in the cinema that existed on the Haymarket, I was left speechless at the end of having watched it. And um, I'm pleased it's Gwendolyn who's going to be answering the questions because oh. I'm left speechless. <laughs> um, but perhaps you can take us back to who you were and where you were when you first saw it and um, what it felt like to you. Um, I think I would have been about 14 when I first watched the piano and I, I used to read magazines avidly and, uh, and I saw it advertised and something about the pictures from it that uh, really drew me to it. Um, I'm not sure why sometimes images sort of speak to you in a much deeper way than you can intellectualize. And I went with, I lied to my parents and I, I went with a friend to the cinema to see it and was left completely um, speechless mm. by it. And it affected me very, very deeply, so much so that I, I thought about it all the time and I went back to see it a second time on my, on my own. Um, because I, it was so powerful, mm. I didn't know um, if it was real. Mm. And so I went back a second time and it was, it, was even, it was even more powerful. It had the same power, if not more. And, um, and so I used to watch the piano while I was at drama school. I used to watch, I used to come home from a 12 hour day and watch it to relax and fall asleep to. <laughs> um, most nights, actually. <laughs> And, um, and I, so I haven't seen it for 12 years. And I haven't seen it in a cinema since I, I saw it when I was 14. Mm. And it's, um, it's, it's, it's had a profound effect on my life. And I think watching it tonight has made me realize quite how profound that has been. And quite how many um, questions it answered and questions it raised then and now. Wow. Um, so in, in those three iterations of you watching this film, the 14-year-old the who obviously also lied to the, uh, to the box office to get into a 15 at the time, yeah. what were you, what the images struck you, um, what surprised you then as a child and looking back at it now, I mean, to what degree was the sexuality a big deal? Where were you in your life in terms of dealing with issues of desire and issues of self, and, and how significant were those questions for you? Um, it was really Ada that, that I connected with very deeply because I was going through my own um, sexual uh, unfurling as a 14-year-old and, and starting to have those experiences and starting to realize what it was to want to have a voice and how little of a voice you have at that age mm -hmm. also. And so I've, I, I found that character really spoke to me. I could see my circumstances in that character. I could see the, the uh, repression of, of power. I, I, um, that really, really struck me very deeply and I, and I felt it, 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 it was parallel to me. And the, and the idea of uh, a woman undergoing a sexual revolution of sorts, a sexual awakening, and 
perhaps a connection of the of the of the root and and unfurling of her sexual desire. Um, and there was something I remember when, when I watched it just then, so powerful about the about the waves, mm. about the sea, and how I had so much passion inside me as a 14-year-old for, for life, mm. and I didn't know how to channel it. Mm. And there was something about those huge waves and this woman who's so tightly corseted and who is so repressed because of the people around her, but, but is unable to express her passion through her piano. Mm. Um, it, it spoke to me so clearly, and, I, and consequently I felt heard because there was someone someone out there that had recognized that. Um, of course, now I also realize that I used to watch film and television av avidly and I really, uh, I loved watching films and I realized there's something different about this film and I, could, I didn't know what it was. And it was only at the end that I saw that it was directed by a woman and I remember sitting there and forming the name I, in my mouth, Jane Campion, and realizing, oh, a woman directed it and that's different. And that's not something I don't know if I've ever seen. I didn't know if I'd ever seen a film directed by a woman. And so I felt that maybe I had a right to see the world through the eyes with which I saw it, which was perhaps one that didn't need or shouldn't be imprinted with the rules of, of cold logic and to be results driven, but perhaps could be about things being inconclusive and complex and right and wrong at the same time. And so was that the first film of Jane's you saw? No, the first film I saw of Jane's was An Angel at My Table that my mother showed me when I think I was 11. Mm. And then I was really captivated by that. And it was when things used to be repeated on television a few nights later, so I stayed up very late. I think it was 11 o'clock and to watch it again. So you, you give Jane repeat business then, Gwen? Yeah, I think <laughs> she owes me. <laughs> Um, so if we flash forward to, um, to Gwendolyn Christie, the letter, fan letter writer, um, what prompted you to write to Jane? Well, I was at a stage in my life where I was very lucky to be working as an actor. It hadn't been very easy to work as an actor. And, um, but I, I'd had this amazing sort of break uh, on a, t on a TV show, on Game of Thrones, and I was so, I was delighted by that. Um, but I, wa I wanted to do something else as well. I wanted to have another kind of challenge, different kinds of challenges. And, you know, in that sort of time where uh, I, really, I really was desperate to, to be involved with some radical creativity, not that I wasn't at work, but a different sort, um, and I saw that Top of the Lake was going to be on television. I saw that Jane Campion, I'd seen everything else Jane had done, and I saw that was going to be on television, and I was deeply, deeply struck by it, um, and just thought, I, I wondered how it would be. I wondered if it would be period. I wondered how it would, I wondered how this woman Jane Campion would manifest now. And what I saw was so, had evolved so much with the times that this person hadn't, hadn't stopped still creatively or as a human being. You mm. could tell there'd been a continuing mm. evolution of self mm. and, and that had 
evolved in terms of what she was doing with narrative, what she was doing with character, how it reflected on current politics, gender politics. And so I, I wrote her a letter mm. um, because we had a friend in common mm. uh, who in 2008 said to me, um, I've got a friend I think you get on with really well. It's a director. And I said, oh, who is it? And she said, Jane Campion. I said, oh, God, I can't. Don't, don't. I said, don't introduce me to her. Um, because I just thought, I don't want that. I don't want to inflict myself on Jane Campion. But I wrote this letter. And, I, and afterwards, I thought, I, I, you can't send that. It's, it's rubbish. And, um, and then 18 months later, uh, I, I had a moment in my life where I kind of, realized how fragile life is and so I sent the letter to my friend and said please send this to these exact erudite words please send this to Jane and if you think I sound like a dick let's never speak of it again <laughs> uh, she sent the letter anyway and Jane responded to me about five days later with a really wonderful email that I was so overwhelmed by and then Three months after that, she telephoned me and said, since I got your letter, I've been dreaming about you and I've written a lead part for you in my new series. I hope you can do it. And I found out tonight that was from your sofa. <laughs> well, it's a small world. Yeah. Um, uh, so if we, if, if we uh, go on and talk a little bit about working with her after that experience, um, what You've talked about the complexity of her narratives and the way she sees the world. Is that the way she encouraged you to work as an actress and when you were working together on Top of the Lake? Um, what, what did you learn from her working up close as opposed to from watching the work on screen? I really learned a huge amount from Jane and she totally changed the way I see the world and the way in which I see my working life. Um, it was not an easy process, um, but the character, the, all the characters were not easy either. And Jane wants it to be real, and she wants you to be present. And sometimes I think she has to break through a lot of what it is you present in order to get to who you are. And in opening up that channel, you start to produce things that are that are more truthful rather than intellectualized responses or something that's deliberately crafted and then maybe emotion applied to it. It's a process that can feel more chaotic, but you feel incredibly alive. Mm -hmm. And you're never working to fill anything. It's already filled. Mm -hmm. You're just desperately trying to sort of drive the car. But anything is happening. And, and it was... That was the first time I remember we did a scene together and afterwards she said, I love it when you obey your own rhythms. And I had no idea that that's what I'd just done <laughs> because I hadn't censored myself. I hadn't controlled. I hadn't tried to control. And, and she had put me into that space. And she also gave me something really incredible, which is to realize that you can be unstoppable. And someone phenomenal like Lizzie Moss is like that when she works anyway. It doesn't matter what obstacles are there. She doesn't see them. She's focused on the scene. And, and I, I wasn't like that. You know, I was often scared. I was scared because I was a long way away from home. I was scared because there were very challenging and new working methods. Mm. And I was scared because I suppose she was liberating me. Mm. And, it's, and it's painful being... It feels painful to be born, you know, and that's how it felt. Mm. It felt like walking through, 
felt like walking through fire because it was so shocking and so new and and fright and very frightening sometimes. Mm. No, I mean I think watching that process of Ada and Baines um, and the piano and the evolution of their relationship sort of gives me some insight into what I imagine that process of liberation is, where you're pushed to the edge and then you discover a new sense of self and where your boundaries are and where, mm. where you're going to go with her. I, I remember Jane actually telling me a story, if I can take the liberty of crudely paraphrasing an anecdote, which I will tell badly, um, about the rehearsal scene between Harvey Keitel and um, Holly Hunter uh, when they were trying to understand how to build up a sense of tension around the piano before the first um, first real touch. I don't know whether it was the touch through the tights or the, um, the touch on the arms, but uh, um, she had suggested to Holly that Holly sit in the rehearsal room at the piano um, and that Harvey come and touch her after a while, after she'd been um, playing for a while and apparently Holly sat at the piano and she played and she played and she played and about five minutes went by and um, Harvey hadn't got up and moved and she sort of looked at Jane who said just keep playing um, and she played and she played and she played and they were both really confused as to why Harvey hadn't got up to go over and move and touch her but the tension in the room was brimming and just when it had reached a peak, he went over and put his hand on her shoulder. And apparently that just gave them the template for how to deal with that kind of erotic tension that I think permeates through mm. the whole of that film. And I think it takes a certain sort of confidence to do that, really. Um, and obviously I haven't been inside the method, and you have. Uh, but I wondered how much confidence, having gone through the process of being broken down and told to reach out to limits and coming out of it, has left you with in terms of future work that you hope to do? It, it really has. I mean, it was quite an extraordinary experience filming Top of the Lake and working with such exceptional people, uh, and but encouraged, being encouraged to take such risks. And I, I did feel exhausted afterwards. I was, I was exhausted by it on, a, on lots of different levels. And also it was, it was a deeply personal, you know, when your idol mm. writes a part for you mm. and it is as complicated and uh, challenging as that part was. I mean, it, was, it, invo it was involved elements of me, but it wasn't me. Mm. It involved some elements about me that I, that I don't feel comfortable about. And, and it doesn't end well. And it isn't overcoming the obstacle, and it doesn't make things right. It sort of makes things worse. And but that's what it is to be human. Mm -hmm. So it took me it took me a while. But what I was excited, I was very raw from the experience. What I was excited about was to take that experience, and it was part of our training that you take those experiences into your your work. And I was still. I could still often be scared, but it's a life's work, isn't it? Mm. And I'm, I feel, the thing I feel proud of is that with each opportunity I have, I'm able to go a little bit further. And it might not be the exact result, kind of giant trembling result that I want it to be, but it's a little bit further of leaving myself alone, 
of letting it come out and of something that the piano did very much subconsciously, and I'm pleased it was subconscious. As precocious as I was as a child, I wouldn't have been able to intellectualize what it was, but, but that the idea that we have impulses that we can't deny. Mm. And I remember one of the first things Jane said to me is, you can't deny the body. Mm. Your body doesn't lie. Mm. And so listening to that rather than governing with the mind is, um, is, uh, is, I think, one of the most enjoyable ways to enjoy being an actor. The body as in the exterior or the interior? Well, I mean, it's the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not just, it's about everything. It's not just your mind. It's not just your body. It's not just your organs. It's about everything that's outside of you as well. Mm -hmm. And just allowing yourself to respond to that. You know, I've, been, I've been looking at Joseph Campbell recently, who, who very much is, is focused on the same premise of we are everything. And the more that we listen to that, the, the more that we stop talking and start listening, the more we don't have to think. Mm. I mean, I'm very grateful you picked the piano, but um, were there other films you might have picked for this female first strand um, if you'd been given the, the opportunity to do it again or, or this hadn't been available? Curious to yeah. know what the other options were in forming you. Um, I loved, uh, I love Orlando by Sally Potter as well. Uh, that's uh, another film that I saw around about the same age where uh, as someone that didn't always fit the um, society's conventional type of what it is to be female, whatever that is, I saw something, um, I saw the film before I read the book and the idea of switching and changing gender of being from another time of the license of flamboyance of love being in so many different forms. I watched that film, I've watched that film a lot as well. And that really spoke to me. And most recently I love the film, I Am Not A Witch. Um, again, another female director. And also the idea of, it's, it's about a child, it's about power, it's about um, the, the repression of femininity, the controlling of femininity, but also about an age that is obsessed with celebrity culture and the idea of humanity being neglected in service of the machine, the money-making machine, which are also themes that I'm very interested in, humanity and being dehumanized, which I think are really prevalent in all our lives. Mm. It's funny you should say that the other film would have been a Sally Potter film. I remember Sally Potter saying that in the 90s when there were Sally Potter's Orlando and Jane Campion's The Piano, people used to stop her in the streets and congratulate her on making The Piano. And Jane said people would stop her and congratulate her on making Orlando. And after a while, they stopped, each other stopped correcting the public mm. for um, misattributing the film and decided, well, there can only be one of us. <laughs> 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 but... Um, the other thing that I noticed tonight watching this again was just quite how funny it was. I didn't remember it being yeah. that funny. And, the, and I think one of the qualities um, Jane really brought out in you in Top of the Lake was the, the comedy. And I don't know whether that's something that comes very naturally to you or, again, was, the, was within the script or something Jane encouraged in your relationship with, with Lizzie. It was a lot, a lot of it was in the script. Um, but also, I found Jane will kill me. I found a, I found a lot of the part very difficult. 
um, because you can't help but feel quite personally when something's been written for you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things I've been overcoming in terms of having a career um, felt compounded. Of course, it's, a, it's so much more than that. But as someone that, where Jane is my idol and there's that part has been created for you and it's so challenging, I chose to play the comedy more because otherwise there was a barrier between me and the, and the subject, me and the character. And I found that I would comment on the character. But if I could see the humor in it, then I could allow the pain in. So that was my way of dealing with it. And also it seemed to please Jane. Mm -hmm. So that was really, you know, what, <laughs> it, that's what seemed to make it work mm -hmm. because it was my, that was my only way in. It was, it was sort of, it was too much. It was kind of too much for me. But how did you first meet Jane? Um, well, embarrassingly, like you, I, um, I first met Jane by writing her fan letter too. Um, I'd just taken over uh, the development funds at the UK Film Council, and um, in my first week in the job, I, um, I read a series of screenplays that had been sent as potential investments, and I was sort of sorely disappointed by most of the ones I'd read that day. It was actually a morning, and I was in bed um, just reading one after another, and I hadn't got up yet. And then I picked one up, and I started reading it. And um, when I got to the end, um, I realized that the sheets of my bed were wet with tears that I'd been crying. And I couldn't believe that I'd wet so much that, um, that the sheets um, mm. were soaked. And I looked at the front page, and it said, Bright Star by Jane Campion. And I hadn't read the title page when I, um, when I picked it up. And there was an email address on the bottom of it, which was for her producer, Jan Chapman. And I couldn't stop myself. I, um, I shot off an email immediately, um, uh, declaring that I was in love with love and that I was probably writing in a fit of delirium that I would wake up from and be embarrassed by, but that um, it was the most extraordinary thing I'd ever read. And that I was desperate to meet them and help them or do anything I could to help make the film happen. And um, circumstances passed, so we did get involved with uh, investing in the film, and I met Jane and became, I hope, a lifelong friend as a consequence. Um, so it only goes to show uh, one may as well express one's emotions rather than hold them back, I suppose. <laughs> Gwendolyn and I have benefited as a I expressed my emotions all the way through that film. Yes. Um, now, I can talk to you indefinitely all evening, Gwendolyn, but I'm mindful that we don't have that much time and that there may be people who have questions they also want to ask. So shall I throw it open to the floor? Um, there's a question over there. Uh, Gwendolyn, thank you so much for this. I mean, this is the first time I've actually seen this in any shape or form, so it's your experience. I mean, you mentioned about the imagery of the waves and everything, but obviously, as time goes on and you see a film again and again, this obviously is one you've seen repeat viewings. Are there other images in the film that have st stuck with you um, that have sort of spoken to you now compared to when you first saw it that sort of stick out? I, I think I'd forgotten how, 
hilarious and awful it is when the dog licks <laughs> Samuel's hand. I mean, it's really, I remember seeing it as a teenager and gasping with, with shock. And, uh, and I'd forgotten quite how sort of funny and awful it is. And also, I was just laughing with my dear friend Jodie about the really terrible moment where after he's cut off Ada's finger, he sort of attempts to rape her and she comes to and he says, feeling better. Uh, it's absolutely extraordinary moment that I, um, I think, I don't, know, I don't know why I hadn't, why that hadn't stayed in my mind more. Um, it's, so, it's so shocking and extreme. But for me, the, the, the enduring one is um, that, that never fails to really make me incredibly emotional is, uh, is the final image of her suspended above her piano. Mm -hmm. It's a very profound moment. And possibly the image you saw that made you want to go and see the film I think in the first place. Yeah. I think it was. There's a question down here in the front row. Sorry. <laughs> You're sharing. <laughs> uh, well, um, you've done a lot of parts already. Um, are there any parts you would like to play yet uh, in your career that you haven't done yet? Any oh, yeah, only about a thousand of them. Um, <laughs> yes, I mean... It's all, I always find it difficult to give up a, uh, a proper and well-developed answer to that question. Um, but I would definitely like to continue doing film work. Um, I've loved doing a series because being able to doing a TV series because you have 10 hours of which to investigate a character and that can also go on over years. Um, I think it may have made me something of a commitment phobe. And now the idea of a story being told in its entirety in three hours is very seductive to me. And the idea of really having to find the root of who someone is and to uh, live that and express that in that time is is very exciting to me. And as is working with lots of different people, I never have kind of one, an idea of one thing I want to play. I always know that I want it to um, reflect something of humanity. I want, it, I want it to be human. I want it to surprise me. And I want it to be outside of gender norms. I know that's a very sort of fashionable thing to say, but what I loved about uh, the piano uh, was that it was a woman of will. She had extreme, she had will, and she was willing to take risks and to obey her, her body. And that felt unique to me. Um, in the way that other parts I've played, like in Game of Thrones, the idea of a, a representation of a different kind of woman that isn't adorned with femininity, that isn't conventionally attractive or cute or sexy. Um, but, uh, but just to keep exploring what it is to be human, um, it is to be a woman, but also to be human, and um, and just do polar opposites of things all the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm not going to take too much of your time. I just wanted to say that this beautiful little woman here traveled all the way from Amsterdam to see you. 
She absolutely adores you. And if you could take just one minute of your time after this to take a picture of her, she will be over the moon for the rest of her oh, life. Of course. Oh, thank you so thank you much. For traveling. Thank you very much. I think there's another question down on this row. Hi, thank you very much for all the information you've given so far. I just had a question about character work, because you've spoken a lot about kind of the importance of also humanity and just adapting to each role and how hard it can be sometimes. And I'm sure there's maybe a few aspiring actresses here. And I do find that sometimes, especially when you really get into characters, it's, you sometimes almost lose yourself a little bit because you're so deep into understanding how to portray a certain feeling and emotion and you want to learn and you want to change. Would you have any advice as to how perhaps to really, at the end of the day, also always stay true to yourself as well, in a way? Just, you know, adapting, but still, at the end of it, be able to go home and be like, okay, because sometimes it could be a bit hard. Yes, I think that the kind of um, training that I had and we had told you, that's it, you switch off. And it was so much about discipline that you weren't, you weren't really allowed to do that. You know, you weren't allowed to take it with you. You might, it might, you might take it with you, but you, but that's it. You put it down, and the more that you uh, focus on, you know, I've worked with actors who are outstanding. I mean, un extraordinary, and and resonate with very real emotion, and then they stop. Um, that's not. I can't just stop like that, but you have to, and you have to just be normal, whatever that is. You have to go about routine and just save it for work. Thank you very much. Do we have any question in the middle from the lady with her hand up there? Thank you. Hi, thank you very much. Um, I, get, I watched the movie when I was 14 as well, and the thing that I loved most about the, the film was the music. Um, I, I played it on the piano for years afterwards, and when I was studying for my exams at school, I had it on repeat, and I just wondered if you could talk, sorry, if you could talk a bit about the music and how it affected you as well. It's so deeply affecting the music, isn't it? Mm. I remember being lucky enough to meet um, Michael Nyman a few years ago before I met Jane and, and, and worked with her. And I asked him about the music for this. And he said the first thing Jane said to him was, I don't want any of that Philip Glass shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was the starting point for that exquisite, exquisite music. It's deeply affecting, isn't it? I mean, it's very powerful. I can't really, there's some soundtracks I listen to a lot, but that one's a bit too, too powerful for me um, in that I really feel it, it really captures the emotion. And, and unlike, I often find watching films that I, that I want the music to stop because I want, to, I want the emotion to live and the emotion is enough. And, and allow the actors to fill that scene with their emotion. But I feel that in the piano, the music is another voice. It's, it's Ada's voice. And it's so simple and so yeah. complex in equal measure, yes. isn't it? It's such a simple conceit, and yet you're, you are understanding her emotion from the 
and her voice entirely from yeah. the combination of that music and the bookended pieces of um, a voiceover. Mm -hmm. It's extraordinary, really, isn't it? Well, she speaks so clearly to you mm. throughout the entire mm. film mm. that you forget that she's not using words. Mm. I forget. Mm. No, I forget as yeah. well. So it's um, carelessness on our part or genius on Jane's. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so then any more questions from the, from the floor? Um, well, then, if I may, I'll also ask you, uh, Gwendolyn, to just tell me a little bit about that journey from um, uh, from drama school into first gigs and which was your first part and how it came about and how, how did your first steps as a performer happen? Um, I was very, 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 very lucky and really landed surprisingly on my feet from a situation of not having agents interested in me at all and one tiny agent took me on and was very enthusiastic about me which was amazing i very my first job was at the royal shakespeare company doing great expectations and um i was hugely lucky that i finished drama school and that started six weeks later six weeks yeah so i had a summer break i mean it was undreamt undreamt of luck that sort of thing and you know, that kind of luck gives you a lot of confidence as well, that you think, well, it can't be... Although everyone's told me I'm not going to work and I'm not going to be the kind of actor I want to be, um, for that to happen, it's... On the grounds. Sorry? You're not going to work and you're not going to be the kind of actor you want oh, to be. Oh, because, you you know, because people... Because we were told that people wanted you know, beautiful, kind of average-looking women and that we could play character parts, but probably not till we were much older. That's, you know, and that the school, as most drama schools did and maybe still do, I don't know, but they would take 20 boys and 10 girls to... Ref and I would say, I remember saying, asking, why is this? And being told, because it reflects the industry, there just aren't the parts for women and it wouldn't be fair to take on more. Um, and I sort of thought, well... Maybe you have to pressurise mm. the industry, but that things were very different 12, well, when I, 15 years ago now we started. I think it was 15 years ago I started drama school. The world was such a radically different place 12 years ago when I left. It was a really, really different place. And it's been an amazing coincidence that the, with the birth of the internet, people have... Uh, Everyone has an equal voice in the in the form of the internet, and it's taken very seriously. Um, it's used as a as a sort of record of um, a ways in which to measure response, and also it's given people the platform to express their views about what they want to see in their entertainment, that they want to see themselves reflected, that they are there as paying customers, um, people from all walks of life, all skin tones, all backgrounds, all genders, all everything, you know. And I think we're seeing also in those kind of big films that are being released that people aren't interested in the same narrative anymore. Mm -hmm. And you see films like Wonder Woman and Black Panther, those big mainstream blockbusters, and people are excited about those because, because it's a different story. And yet somehow this film remains... Um, Singular, exceptional, mm -hmm. um, still the only film to have been directed by a woman and to win a Palme d'Or. Uh, still so many firsts in terms yeah. of recognition 
um, and awards. Uh, and I think that's probably as much to do with the tribute to the originality of the filmmaking as opposed to Jane's gender per se. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and because, and because it's, she, she goes beyond gender. You know, she, she isn't commenting on a gender. Uh, you hear Jane's voice so clearly in this, and it's so pure, and it's so, uh, it's, it's not limited, and it's not controlled. She's free, and it's, I think that's very interesting, that she, in a, in a person being free, who happens to be a woman, they make a film as astounding as that. Mm -hmm. And I think that says it all. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that probably um, says everything we can say <laughs> about it. Um, and yeah. thank you, Gwendolyn, <laughs> for picking it, for sharing your thoughts, for sharing your intimacies with Jane. And thank you. Thank you all for coming.